Welcome everyone to the Breathe Easy podcast series at the American Thoracic Society. We are Patricia Fogelman and Jennifer Wesco from the Wesco Foundation for Pulmonary Fibrosis. And together we are running this new podcast that we have called Pulmonary and Palliative Care, the We Belong Together series. So Jen, welcome again today. So happy to see you. So happy to see you, be here again and talk with you about very important topics for pulmonary palliative care. So I'm excited because I think today's topic is especially timely. Um, What we wanted to focus on today was the communication and kind of that technique of how to have a dialogue about goals of care and advanced illness management for our advanced lung disease patients but particularly in this time of COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, and how to broach these really intense, but really hypercritical conversations. Because I think for more than almost any other population of patients, the advanced lung disease population patients really need a directed COVID goals of care discussion. Um, So I'm grateful that we have this time to talk about that today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think too, I mean, any type of topic that is that difficult conversation, the question is, how do we talk about something that perhaps the patient family's really not open to that at that point? Where are they in this process? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the million dollar question is when, when do you have that discussion, that difficult discussion, but needed an honest conversation? Mm -hmm. And I think the timing of that, Jen, is always Mm -hmm. critical, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if it's an established patient that's in your clinic that you have some rapport with and that you have followed for some time, then really the opportunity is at the next routine clinic appointment mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, I want to set aside some time to talk a little bit, um, you know, more big picture about the issues that kind of surround what we call advanced illness planning. Um, and then I think that because the urgency with COVID sometimes pushes us into, you know, having a more uncomfortable conversation quick sooner mm-hmm. than perhaps we desired to kind of almost couch it in a similar way to kind of say, you know, the opening salvo is always so important, right? You have to mm-hmm. let people know mm-hmm. um, that there's some potentially difficult news ahead that you want to discuss. And, we, you know, in palliative medicine, oftentimes we call that the warning shot, right. you know, that we kind of give people an early heads up that we might have some difficult things to talk about today. And so, you know, number one permission, is it okay to talk about this? Right. So I always, with my patients, tend to kind of say, you know, with everything going on, you know, with COVID and, and how sick people have become from that in today's world, I think it's really important we take a few minutes from this visit to kind of talk about what we think that might mean for you if you were to become sick from COVID. Is mm-hmm. it okay to talk about that for a few minutes? Mm-hmm. And then I think for lung disease patients, perhaps more specifically, is to say, have you ever thought about what you might want if things got really bad from a medical perspective, Mm -hmm. if you became critically ill? And I think sometimes people get really overwhelmed with that question because it's like, oh, well, I want to be home. I want to be with my family. Or they take it to, you know, that next level of like, well, yeah, I would, you know, everything goes to my wife and kids or And it's like, no, 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 I meant more like, you know, from a medical perspective, like, you know, for example, if you got really sick with COVID, you know, at this stage with with how advanced your lung disease Mm -hmm. is, would you want us to do things like put you on a ventilator Mm -hmm. and to kind of feel that out? And so I always wonder, 
from the you have that perspective of being both an advocate for patients with lung disease, but then also having had that experience as you know a family member and a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so, from your perspective, what was that initial conversation like when you had some initial kind of goals of care talks? Were there feelers put out? Were there follow ups to those appointments? Um, how do you feel that those conversations were broached with you guys? Well, they weren't. Wow. They weren't. This was going on 17 years ago, um, and uh, we really didn't talk about it. Our provider, we didn't bring up the conversation, didn't know what palliative care was, mm-hmm. um, supportive care was. And so through the process of going through this with my dad, um, and he had pulmonary fibrosis, is that we were learning as we were going along. And I, in fact, didn't learn about palliative care until my dad had passed. And and that's one of many reasons why we're huge supporters of palliative and supportive care. It is so valuable, and we talk a lot about in our groups is what it is of educating patients and families what it is, um, how it is extremely beneficial of all of the above, right? Of symptom mm-hmm. management, supportive care, financial, spiritual, etc. And so, based on our experience experience with my dad, we were, or as we are moving forward with WESCO, is that is a topic of conversation that we bring up in terms of, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, what it is, being educated about it. So that's one of our many priorities because of what we experienced. I remember talking with one of our providers after all that we had been through is the topic of palliative care came up. And I actually asked, what is palliative care? And retrospectively, of course, you think back in, you know, what you experienced as a as a daughter, as a loved one, as a friend, you know, why we need to know more about this. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to bring that to the forefront so that patients, families have that conversation if it's actually not brought up on a level of being, uh, having that honest conversation of practical ways of moving forward, of living with pulmonary fibrosis, living with ILD or post-COVID, of going through those medical experiences, Mm -hmm. journeys. And so uh, it just reiterates to me, you know, as a daughter of, of how tremendously important this is. Do you feel that if you had had some earlier conversations kind of about, you know, hey, you have a really advancing lung disease and as this disease progresses, unfortunately, advanced technologies like a ventilator really won't reverse it or cure it. It may prolong a dying process, but it won't necessarily help you die better. Would those have been important conversations for you if there was something you would have done differently, for example, what what would that have been if someone had kind of had that preemptive talk with you? Um, I would, retrospectively, I would have clearly have asked, well, what is it? Try to be more educated about it. You know, bring that in the conversation with my dad. You know, my mom's here and just have a conversation as a family of what, right, right. as what to do. Uh, moving forward because stat being stagnant and you know isn't 
trying to manage how you're feeling through the process is, is very difficult in itself. When you're empowered by being educated about these resources of palliative care, supportive care gives you that, that empowerment mm -hmm. of trying to lay things out on the table of different scenarios. How are we to handle this? And not all families uh, it's easy to talk about that. So having it to that level, to have that honest conversation might be a process in itself. Right? I agree. You know, mm -hmm. I have had the experience professionally where, mm -hmm. you know, my advanced lung disease patients will come to clinic and, you know, sometimes they're alone at the appointment. And so they'll broach some of these issues or kind of skirt around them of like, oh, I feel myself getting sicker. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. One patient with really advanced COPD, when COVID first started, actually asked me, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what would happen to me if I got COVID. And so I, you know, I was, I was typing something in her chart when she said that to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of stopped what I was doing, turned to face her in clinic. And I said, well, let's, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. You know, so tell me a little bit more about what, what you're thinking, where your concerns are coming from. And really what she shared was, you know, she had been, someone who had been in the last few years in and out of the hospital quite frequently in the last six months had been at a hospital probably mm -hmm. once a month, you know, for COPD related exacerbations, couple of times had a nursing home stay after those admissions and just kind of felt herself becoming mm -hmm. frailer as she described. And she said, you know, it's hard enough to do things right now. I'm wearing oxygen all the time. I can't really get myself around in the mornings. I have an aide that comes in to help me. And all I can wonder is if I got COVID at this point, and this was someone who I think did a really good job of trying to keep herself safe, didn't go out in crowded situations, always wore a mask if she had to be out, limited her time in the hospital and at doctor's appointments would ask for telemedicine whenever appropriate. And, you know, she just, she just kind of said, I don't know that I would really do well from what I understand with COVID. And, and granted, this was now back when things were really ramping up. And so therapies and stuff hadn't been as well-defined as they are today. But we talked about that a little bit. And part of what, you know, I was able to really weave into our conversations, let's call her Sarah, that wasn't her name, but to, to say, Sarah, you know, you bring up some really good points and some mm -hmm. really valid concerns. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about when you have an advanced illness like COPD at the stage where you're at now, mm -hmm. if you were to require a ventilator, the chances that you would come off the ventilator successfully are this, you know, which were pretty low for her age and her performance status. I said, and then I think if you got a severe enough infection, you know, such as COVID, I don't think we would get you off the ventilator successfully. And then I think that changes what the considerations might be for what you might want for yourself. So, you know, she she started nodding and she was appropriately tearful, truly. And then she just said, I don't think that's what I want for myself. And I said, so let's talk a little bit more then about what you want for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so let me, I always say to my patients, you know, let me ask this question differently. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking, you know, do you want everything done? I now sometimes will say, where do you see yourself at the end of your life? Where do you want to be? Mm -hmm. How should that look for you in a perfect scenario. And, you know, she had a really straightforward answer. Like, I want to be home. Mm -hmm. I want to be with my family. I really don't want to be separated from them or be told that there's restrictions on when they can visit me. You know, she's like, I think I really want to focus more 
on just kind of making the most of whatever time I might have mm-hmm. left. And so I said, you know, then what I would suggest is if you started to feel like things were escalating, let's try to treat what's treatable, fix what's fixable, which is I have to give credit where credit is due. That particular statement belongs to Dr. Susan Paolucci, who is a psychiatrist at Geisinger Medical Center. And she has taught legions of us that Mm -hmm. um, in decades of working. Mm -hmm. But Sue always says, you know, treat what's treatable, fix what's fixable. Mm -hmm. But if you had a natural death, you know, meaning the disease progressed to where it was no longer responding to therapies, that we would allow that. And we would keep you comfortable through that, but not do things to you to prolong a dying process. And I think that word choice becomes Mm -hmm. so important because when you're not comfortable with these discussions and you're not comfortable with these topics, you tend to have a very stilted or awkward discussion. But for those who have had some training or who have some instinctive or intuitive comfort with these discussions, then I think that becomes more fluid Mm -hmm. and a little bit more organic. And for, for Laura, you know, for, the conversation I had, you know, with Sarah in clinic, that was much more fluid, right? This was someone who had seen me for quite some time, who was able to just kind of voice this concern. And then the flip side is, you know, I had a patient just a few weeks ago who was a new interstitial lung disease, actually a pulmonary fibrosis patient, Mm -hmm. relatively new diagnosis within the last six months to a year, um, new to oxygen therapy, had not had good success with some of the more advanced modalities like Esbriet and OFEB, mm-hmm. but, you know, really was still hopeful that things could get better. She's on a trial of steroids. She wants to see if things could, you know, kind of stabilize for her. And when we had a, a simple goals of care conversation, she was really not prepared to consider anything but going full bore and doing everything we could do Mm -hmm. to try and help her. And I think that there's no right or wrong answer. I just think it's important that we as providers know what our patient wants, right? Right. I'm not here to judge you for your decisions, but I'm really here to make sure I know what you want for yourself so that if and when a time comes, you're so sick and you can't communicate with, with us, you know, I can tell the team or they can refer to my note and they can see that this person who had, repeated contact with you had these conversations mm-hmm. and was able to complete it. And for Sarah and I, you know, we took that opportunity in clinic to complete a post form, which mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania is the um, Pennsylvania order for life sustaining therapy. And we were just able to kind of go through the work through that and, you know, stipulate that she wanted a, for example, a do not resuscitate order. And she didn't want to be on machines and she didn't want artificial things done to her at that stage but she did want us to make sure she was comfortable. And, you know, over a few more appointments subsequently, you know, her COPD itself began to worsen. I'm always happy to share that she remained COVID negative, Mm -hmm. but in the end, you know, her COPD was progressing. And so then we shifted that a little bit more into a conversation about, you know, I think you need a little more help than you have right now Mm -hmm. to be able to stay home safely. Mm -hmm. And so the highest level of in-home support you know, I can get you with Medicare is through the hospice program. And that is not just for patients who are dying. It's also for patients who, you know, have an advanced illness for which medical therapies have been maximized Mm -hmm. and, you know, who kind of are saying, okay, um, there's no more active curative therapy I want to pursue, but I want to really focus on quality of life and being at home. And so we added hospice to her care Mm -hmm. and she was able, you know, to have a visiting nurse, a home health aide, a social worker, some very gentle home-based PTOT mm-hmm. and some spiritual care support when she needed it. And she had this 
team of people coming in to see her on top of the private caregivers that she had and her family. And this was someone that I, you know, really feel comfortable. We were able to keep her at home, keep her comfortable where she wanted to be. She felt safe. She felt nurtured. She was loved. And, you know, if you have to try and say, what could be a better ending for someone? I, I often struggle. I don't know that there's something better than being where you wanted to be mm-hmm. with the people you wanted to be with, right? Versus mm-hmm. something having happened and maybe it's not the ending you wanted for yourself. Exactly, exactly. There's several thoughts that, Patty, you talked about the word organic, um, at organic conversation that you had with one of your patients. And, you know, being on the side of the patient and families, that makes sense to me. When you move forward timing in having that conversation and how you said it exactly, what you were talking about, I think is instrumental in bringing up a topic that, you know, maybe someone's not totally open to, they're not educated about it, they don't know a whole lot about it. If you're not broached that conversation, you don't know to even have that conversation. And having the pulse and talking about that is very important as well, because not a lot of people even know about that. I mean, you know, every state has their own advanced Mm -hmm. care planning type approach, but to be able to have that on the table, to really go through it, maybe not all at once, maybe intermittent conversations, but still having it there so that as you move forward living with any type of chronic illness and, you know, we're talking with pulmonary illnesses is that you have that information, you're educated about it to have that conversation. Let me ask you this, Patty, as a physician or a nurse practitioner, DMP, a provider, what would you suggest your expertise is palliative care? What would you suggest to a healthcare professional having that conversation? So I think that when it's in the clinic, we have mm-hmm. this luxury of time, right? That it's not an acute or compressed urgency. And so mm-hmm. in that setting, I'm a big fan, like if you, as you've already indicated, of just kind of doling out information in usable bites, because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times with advanced lung patients, sometimes when you start this conversation, sometimes there's a, a element, there's a percent of that population who are shocked to hear they have an advanced illness, right? And so then you kind of have to step back a minute and say, well, let's talk about your understanding of your disease, you know? And sometimes the best screening question is the most basic question. Mm-hmm. If I say you're pretty sick and it's pretty serious, would you agree with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think we have to get really technical. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's easy to slip into the comfort right. of technical lingo because that's where I live and that's my comfort zone, but that's not where my patient right. lives and that's not their comfort zone. So I will often say when I initiate some of these conversations with patients, you know, how do you like to receive information? Mm-hmm. Do you like a lot of detail? Do you want just the facts? Do you kind of want the big picture overview? Like, how do you best receive information? And there's going to be people who are like high information seekers, and there's going to be people who may be low information seekers, and then somewhere in the middle, you know, other folks will be. So first kind of meet them, you know, find out what they need and meet them where they're at. And then you can broach that as like, you know, advanced care planning is a really important part of any advanced illness management. And we at 
this organization also like to make sure that our patients have a comprehensive, you know, really thorough understanding of their illness, but that also we do everything we can to help you plan for all potentials Mm -hmm. of this illness, you know? Mm -hmm. And so one of those things is what we call advanced care planning or advanced illness planning. And that would really be kind of what would you want for yourself if you were felt to be in a really advanced illness situation, which could be life-threatening or life-limiting. Right. You know, and, and sometimes that's really as far as you're going to get right. in the clinic appointment exactly. and then say, mm-hmm. let's, let's have you come back in a week or two and let me follow up on this, or let's do a telemedicine appointment in a week or two and give them some information to read. Um, I have on occasion given someone like a post form to take home to review, but honestly, like, if you're not going through it with somebody right. just because of how much information is on there, it's so confusing. Right. And right. so I'm you're almost sure. like sometimes at a point where I'm like, let's not do that again. Right. Instead, I'll give them like a handout on advanced illness mm-hmm. or I direct them to like www.getpalliativecare.org because right. there's an entire section on advanced care planning resources. I think from a provider perspective, you know, there's so many ways we can get more comfortable with these conversations. The first is obviously, you know, practice makes perfect. The more you do it, mm-hmm. um, the more organic and natural and flow you have to these discussions. Mm-hmm. But what's the best way to get to that place? I think sometimes have some pre-formatted talking maps, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always going to be easy for you to come up with a way to say it. So study a way to say it. There are talking maps for all these things. There's ways, you know, like when I was first training, my former chairman was a huge mentor to me. And honestly, he had a way with words, Mm -hmm. you know, he just managed to convey so much just even in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm still aspiring to that, you know, (laughs) I'm still on that journey. Um, But you can get there. And so, you know, now I, I find myself still saying things in some of the ways. And just like Dr. Paolucci's expression of, you know, fix what's fixable, treat what's treatable. It's 20 years later, I'm still using that expression because it's absolutely a clear way to explain kind of where people are at. And sometimes when you say that to a patient, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I understand you. You want me to try to treat what's treatable, try to fix what's fixable. But if you have a natural death, you want me to allow that and keep you comfortable. And they just sit back in their chairs like, yes, exactly. What's so hard about that? I'm like, nothing. Right. Right. Nothing's hard about that. We're going right. to get there for you. Right. And so I think that ongoing nature of the conversation is super important. How that looks in an organization is super variable. You know, if you're really lucky and you have, you know, a bigger organization with a well-flushed out palliative medicine right. team that has across the board social worker, navigator, nurse, mm-hmm you know, so on and so forth, you have more people that can come into the fold exactly. and help with those conversations. You know, I work in rural health, mm-hmm. in a integrated rural system. Our program is a currently a three provider program, mm-hmm. one social worker who right now, because of COVID related work demands is split with inpatient oncology. So I don't have that same bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And so right now those conversations in the follow-up sense are with us, but I will say that there's always certain divisions that we partner with so closely. So for myself, for example, palliative medicine is part of the cancer service line. Mm-hmm. And so I work very closely with our cancer partners in both radiation oncology and hematology oncology. So when I see one of the cancer patients mm-hmm. 
and I have this kind of preliminary conversation, I can actually call my colleague in the oncology division and be like, hey, they're seeing you next week for X, Y, Z. Here's what we've discussed. Are you comfortable following up on these two points? Or can I come see them at the last 10 minutes of their visit with you just to kind of follow up with them? Or they can do a telemedicine with me. And I found that more and more people in certain realms have a lot more what I call primary palliative care training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, at the end of the day, if you're really kind of without that kind of support or don't have that luxury, there's apps out there to help you. So Vital Talk is probably the most commonly used one. Mm. The Vital Talk app is extremely helpful. It literally has like a talking map for almost every imaginable scenario. Plus they've now created a whole section of COVID right. talking maps period. So you can almost kind of like, oh, COVID goals of care versus, you know, advanced illness code right. discussion right. or feeding tube, no feeding right. tube or chemo, no chemo. And so you can have this talking map. And I always, I tell my residents, you know, mm-hmm. use a talking map to kind of help you get started because as that becomes more comfortable mm-hmm. to you, you're going to evolve your own style. Like you're going to mm-hmm. have your own way of saying things and, it's going to feel better to you once you get there. Right. But, you know, everybody has a stumbling block. Everybody starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nobody's perfect right out of the game. Mm-hmm. And we all had to learn. And, you know, I'd like to think that that's like an ongoing process mm-hmm. for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so I think for lung patients, it's super important, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of open that door to that conversation. And I oftentimes in pulmonary, when I was in pulmonary medicine, I would just say, you know, part of my job to make sure that I'm giving you the very best care possible mm-hmm is to talk about these potential what-if scenarios that I feel could happen down the line for the illness that you have. So for your COPD, for your advanced pulmonary fibrosis, for your pulmonary hypertension, Mm -hmm. can we talk about that for a few minutes? And you kind of just raise the topic. And then at the next clinic visit, you dive into it a little deeper. And like, yeah, we talked a little bit about this last time. I'd like to follow up on that today. And, and again, you know, we have a rapport with our patients that we're seeing in clinic. They trust us. We want to serve them the best we can. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of, I've always felt like part of a fundamental obligation. So how do I make sure that I'm giving you the best care possible? I'm taking care of you as a whole person. Right. 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 All of you matter. So the advanced illness part of you matters just as much as which inhaler I choose for mm-hmm. you today matters. But part of palliative care integration in advanced lung disease, so when you talk more specifically about pulmonary palliative care, you're really taking that whole person care concept and bringing it up a couple of notches because whole person care is way more than just the patient. Whole person care is their family, their caregivers, that that kind of core environment of of the people or the teams that are caring Mm -hmm. for this patient. And who needs help where? Mm-hmm. What's the resources? Is it a, and and that's where I think, you know, you've done marvelous work with the caregiver family perspective in pulmonary fibrosis, because that's really the piece that honestly gets the least amount of attention mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so a healthy caregiver, you know, who's probably many times wondering, right, what are we going to do when this gets bad? Oh, right. What's going to happen? No one's ever talking about it. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had a goals of care conversation with an advanced lung disease patient mm-hmm. to have their family member who was there call me almost universally within the next week to first thank me for having the conversation, but then to follow that comment up almost all the time with, I couldn't believe somebody finally said it. Yes. That's you know? <laughs> absolutely. Like, 
Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That's absolutely, that's spot on Patty. And um, we always say, we talk about this all the time, Patty, it takes a village, right? And we're all in this together. We don't have to move forward independently alone. It's, it's all encompassing patients and healthcare communities. And I think that that's really where as pulmonary medicine providers, like we can ask for that help, you know, so right. if, it's, if you've tried to have that conversation and it got difficult, there are some complexities here to talking about advanced illness care for the issues that you have. Right. I'm going to ask my colleagues from palliative medicine to see you. Exactly. And I think that's that stigma we have mm-hmm. to work on, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I have to talk to the patient first and make sure they're okay with mm-hmm. seeing palliative medicine. But my answer is always, did you ask them if they wanted to see a cardiologist when you sent right. them? Right. True. Or, True. you know, when you, when you sent them to dermatology mm-hmm. for the weird looking rash, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not any different. It's another subspecialty of medicine. So you have to normalize it. Um, and I think that when we have these partnerships, I'm really lucky mm-hmm. that I have that partnership with oncology, both radiation and medical oncology. I have that partnership with our intensive care colleagues and pulmonary. And now we're building that same partnership with cardiology at our organization. Right. So we're capturing these really sick people to just really remember those takeaways are like, these are very sick people. They're very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They need help having these discussions mm-hmm. and it's incumbent on all of us to kind of be part of that solution. Absolutely. Hence the phrase, we belong together. Exactly. <laughs> we belong together. Yes, we so do. I think that's a, a nice space to kind of bring our time together to a close, but I can't thank you enough for, for helping me with this session today and sharing your experiences and looking forward to our next session. Patty, thank you so much for, for our conversation. It's always extremely helpful and just, you know, appreciate all of what you do and I look forward to the next one. 